you don't have to worry. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. If anybody had an excuse for worrying, it was the Apostle Paul. His beloved Christian friends at Philippi were disagreeing with one another, and he was not there to help them. We have no idea what Iodia and Sintaichi were disputing about, but whatever it was, it was bringing division into the church. Along with the potential division at Philippi, Paul had to face division among the believers at Rome. Added to these burdens was the possibility of his own death. Yes, Paul had a good excuse to worry, but he did not worry. Instead, he took time to explain to us the secret of victory over worry. Some might ask, what is worry? The Greek word translated anxious, careful, in Philippians 4 and 6 means to be pulled in different direction. Our our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us the opposite direction. And we are pulled apart. The old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. If you have really worried, if you've ever really worried, you know how it does strangle a person. In fact, worry has definite physical consequences. It could add to your physical being headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, it affects our digestion, and even our coordination. From the spiritual point of view, worry is... It's wrong thinking, the mind, the wrong feeling, the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is a great thief of joy. It is not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying because that will never capture the thief. Worry is an inside job, and it takes more good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is the secure mind. It is the peace of God, which says the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When you have the secure mind, when you have the peace of God, it guards you, Philippians 4 and 7. And the God of peace guides you, Philippians 4 and 9. With that kind of protection, why should we worry? If we are to conquer worry and we are to experience the secure mind, then we must meet the conditions that God has laid down for us. And there are three of them. That would be right praying, right thinking, and right living. Paul did not write pray about it. He was too wise to do that. He used three different words to describe right praying, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, or or right praying involves all three. The word prayer is the general word for making requests known to the Lord. It carries the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. So whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God and to worship Him. 
Adoration is what is needed. We must see the greatness and majesty of God. We must realize that he, realize that he is big enough to solve your every problem. Too often we rush into his presence and hastily we tell him our needs. And when we ought to approach his throne calmly and in deepest reverence, the, and the first step would be in right praying, which would be adoration. And the second is supplication and earnest sharing of our needs and our problems with him. There's no place for half-hearted, insincere prayer. While we know we are not heard for our much speaking, as the Bible says, still we realize that our Father wants us to understand and our Father wants us to be earnest in our asking. See Matthew 7, verses 1 through 11. This is the way that Jesus prayed in the garden, Hebrews eleven five, And while his closest disciples were sleeping, Jesus was sweating great drops of blood. Supplication is not a matter of carnal energy, but spiritual intensity. After adoration and supplication comes appreciation, giving thanks to God. See Philippians, or not Philippians, excuse me. See Ephesians 5.20, Colossians chapter 3. Certainly the father enjoys hearing his children say thank you. When Jesus healed the ten lepers, only one of the ten returned to give thanks. You can find that in Luke 17. And we wonder if the percentage is even any higher today. We are eager to ask, but we're slow to appreciate. You will note that right praying is not something every Christian can do immediately because right praying depends on right thinking or the right kind of mind. And this is why Paul's formula for peace is found at the end of Philippians and not at the beginning. If we have the single mind of Philippians 1, then we can give adoration. If we have the submissive mind of Philippians 2, we can come with supplication. If we have the spiritual mind of Philippians 3, we can show our appreciation. A worldly-minded person would not know that God has given him anything to appreciate. In other words, we must practice Philippians 1, 2, and 3 if we are going to experience the secure mind of Philippians 4. Paul counseled us to take everything to God in prayer. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything was his admonition to us. We are prone to pray about the big things in life and to forget to pray about the so-called little things until we grow, or excuse me, until they grow and become big things. Talking to God about everything that concerns us and Him is the first step toward victory over worry. The result is that the peace of God guards the heart and it guards the mind. You will remember that Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, guarded day and night. In like manner, the peace of God stands guard over the two areas that create worry, and that would be the heart and it would be the mind. 
When we give our hearts to Christ in salvation, we experience peace with God. But the peace of God takes us a step further into his blessings. This does not mean the absence of trials on the outside, but it does mean a quiet confidence within, regardless of circumstances, people, or things. Daniel gave us a wonderful illustration of peace through prayer when the king announced that none of his subjects was to pray to anyone except the king. Daniel went to open his room and open his windows and he he prayed as he did before. He did everything as he did before. But note how Daniel prayed. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God and he made supplication and then prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And the result was perfect peace in the midst of perfect difficulty. Daniel was able to spend the night with the lions in perfect peace, while the king in his palace could not sleep. The first condition for the secure mind and victory over worry is right praying. In chapter 4, verse 8, peace involves the heart and it involves the mind. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Isaiah 26 and 3. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling and before long the heart and the mind are pulled apart and we are strangled by worry. We must realize that thoughts are real And thoughts are powerful. Even though they cannot be seen, they can't be weighed or measured, we must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Paul spells out in detail the things we ought to do. The things that we ought to think about as Christians. Whatever is true. Dr. Walter Cavert reported a a survey on worry that indicated that only 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate. Matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary or they never happened or they involved matters over which the people had to control, had no control anyway. Satan is a liar, John eight forty four, and he wants to corrupt our minds with lies, with his lies. Just as in the Garden of Eden, when he spoke to Genesis or to Eve, he. That was in Genesis three and one, he said, "Yea, hath God said." Using a question, of course, to bring doubt and a troubled mind, the Holy Spirit controls our minds through truth. But the devil tries to control them through lies. Whenever we believe a lie, Satan takes over. Whatever is honest and just, this means worthy of respect and right. There are many things that are not respectable. And Christians should not think about these things. 
This does not mean we hide our heads in the sand and we avoid what is unpleasant and displeasing, but it does mean we do not focus our attention on dishonorable things and permit them to control our thoughts. Whatever is pure, lovely, and of good report. Pure probably refers to moral purity, since the people in then, as now, as even now, were constantly attacked by temptation to sexual impurity. Lovely means beautiful or attractive. Of good report means worth talking about or appealing. So the believer must major on the high and noble thoughts, not the base thoughts of this corrupt world. Whatever possesses virtue and praise, if it has virtue, it will motivate us to do better. And if it has praise, it is worthy it is worth commending to others. No Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that tear him down or that would tear others down if, if those thoughts were shared. If you will compare this list to David's description of the Word of God in Psalms 19, you will see a parallel. The Christian who fills his heart and mind with God's Word will have a built-in radar. And that built-in radar will be for detecting wrong thoughts. Great peace have they which love thy law, Psalms 119. Right thinking is the result of daily meditation on the word of God. And then in chapter 4, verse 9, you cannot separate outward action and inward attitude. Sin always results in unrest unless the conscience is seared and purity ought to result in peace and the work of righteousness shall be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and peace. See Isaiah thirty-two seventeen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then it's peaceable. James three seventeen. Right living is a necessary condition for experiencing the peace of God. Paul balances four activities here, learned and received and heard and seen. So it is one thing to learn a truth, but quite another to receive it inwardly and make it a part of our inner man. Facts in the head are not enough. We must always have truths in the heart. In Paul's ministry, he not only taught the word, but he also lived it so that his listeners could see the truth in his own life. Paul's experience ought to be our experience. We must learn the word, receive the word, hear the word, and we must do the word. The Bible says in James 1.22, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. The peace of God is one test of whether or not we are in the will of God. Let the peace of God that Christ can give keep on acting as umpire in your hearts. If we are walking with the Lord, then the peace of God and the God of peace exercise their influence over our hearts. 
Whenever we disobey or whenever we lose that peace and we know that we have done something wrong, God's peace is the empire that calls us out. Right praying, right thinking, and right living. These are the conditions for having the secure mind. And victory over worry, as Philippians 4 is the peace chapter of the New Testament, James 4 is the war chapter. It begins with a question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And James exclaimed the cause of war, wrong praying. James 4 and 3 says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So wrong thinking, purifying your hearts, ye double-minded, and wrong living, ye, ye know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. James 4 and 4. There is no middle ground. Either we have yielded our hearts and minds to the Spirit of God and we practice right praying, right thinking, and right living, or we have yielded to the flesh and find ourselves torn apart by worry. There is no need to worry, and worry is a sin, actually. With the peace of God to guard us and the God of peace to guide us, why should we worry? And in saying that and in closing here, I would just like to encourage you to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 44, if you have not read it lately. God bless you each and every one. Amen.